0: Welcome to the Grace Capital Church Podcast, broadcasting from our Laconia campus. Good morning. Good morning. We're into week three in the Roots series, and uh, man, I feel like I have a good word today. So let me just pray. God, I thank you for each one that's here. Lord, I pray, God, that you would meet us here. God, that you would use my words. God, that you, that you would be the words. God, that you would speak. God, that you would open our hearts and our mind to receive what you're saying so that we might be changed by you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've begun this series and been working through this series called Roots. We started out with this verse in Colossians which said that Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up in him, and established in the faith. And from the beginning, we established that Christianity isn't just an idea, it's a way of life, that it's a walk. And we established that we don't just believe in God. We need to believe God and then allow that to dictate how we walk. And in the first week, we saw that the key to following him, the key to being rooted in him is to trust him with our whole heart. Proverbs 3 says that we must trust the Lord with all our hearts. And lean not on our own understanding, and all our ways acknowledge him, and he will make our path straight. Now, it's not easy to follow him, but the path is straight. And then we looked at this wisdom saying in the book of Jeremiah, which has really served as the framework for the whole series, and it's in Jeremiah 17. This wisdom saying shows us two ways of life. In one way of life, it says that you are like a shrub. And the other way of life, it says that you are like a tree planted by a stream. So let me read to you. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. And makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Let me pause. This was written to God's people at the time, the Israelites. God had revealed himself to them, and he gave them an identity. And he called them to be his representatives in the world. And they sold out they forfeited who God made them to be and rather living for him, they became like this. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched land, in the places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land, dry, bone dry. Prickly on the outside, but he says there's another way, and in this other way, it says, "Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord." This is the one who trusts with his whole heart and leads not on his own understanding. It says that he is like a tree planted by water that sends roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. So it doesn't matter what's happening in life. He's always bearing fruit. Says his leaves remain green. And it's not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. And last week we looked at how God brings us from being in the desert to being by the stream. And how he uses people in our life to dig us up out of that desert to expose the roots that are causing us to cling to that way of life and to carry us and to bring us into that good land so that we can become planted and start growing our own roots in God. When you look at this passage as a whole, what is it talking about? It's talking about a change in identity. That there's one way that leads to death. And there's another way that leads to life. And God wants to change us from a shrub to a tree. But how does that happen? A while back I told you about a little cat that Carrie and I took in. His name is Moses. And we found him in a garage outside of our house. It wasn't our garage, it was our neighbor's garage. We're in side-by-side. Side. And the poor little thing was, was this big. It was just a little baby kitten. And this kitten was crying. And I thought it was a bird, actually. It was crying all day. Just like crying, crying, crying. And so I uh, made my way into the garage. Well, yeah, forcefully. And... Uh, I saw this little kitten covered in sawdust. And it was covered in fleas. And we, and we took it into our house and we bathed it and we pulled the fleas off and kind of brought it back to life and nursed it with a little eyedropper. And he became part of our family. And in our family, we have a cat already named Emma, who's an older cat, around 12, has one eye, walks with a little lean. We call her Gangster Kitty. So she's kind of like this. Right. She's from Lynn, Massachusetts. <laughs> Okay? And then we have a chocolate lab who's Canadian, and, and he's about 12, and he's 120 pounds, and the sweetest thing ever, this big old chocolate lab. Now, Emma, the gangster kitty, rules the upstairs. That's, that's her domain, okay? And Toby, who's a big mush, rules the downstairs. So when we brought the kitten into our home, guess where the kitten spent most of his time? With the dog. Now he thinks he's a dog because he's been hanging out and following the dog. He tries to eat the dog food. He tries to do with the dog. So he thinks he's a dog because he's been following the way of the dog. But that's not who God made him to be. Although secretly, I kind of like him as a dog because I think the best cats are the dog cats. But that's not how God designed him. That's not how he made him. And if you look in this passage, who God's talking to, the Israelites, God didn't design them and make them to be a shrub. He made them to be a tree, but yet they were living as a shrub. They had an identity problem. And I think that as Christians, we often have an identity problem ourselves. Now, I can remember when I first became a believer and I, I would try to tell my brother about Jesus. My brother is pretty hostile towards Christians. He doesn't really like Christians so much. And so he would study me, and he would look for inconsistencies in the things I would say and how I would live. And then he would say, uh-uh-uh. And he would try to push my button so I would get in an argument with him. And then he'd say, well, you know, Christians aren't supposed to be like that, you know. They're not supposed to act like that. They shouldn't be. And so then, well, what was he doing? Okay. He was defining me. He was looking at my life. He was looking at the words that I would say and the things that I would do. And and he would try to define me. Because he saw that I was trying to carry this name Christian. Which we all know nobody can measure up to. I mean, come on right so whether you've been walking as a christian for 50 years or a newbie in comparison to christ it's like i mean yeah it's like so he was looking at me and defining me so the challenge especially for a new believer but even for all of us is to recognize that is It is God who defines who we are, not our past, not what other people think, not even the things we struggle with. You see, we grow up in this culture, we grow up in this world where everyone else is trying to define who we are. We are told in the beginning, when we start going to school, that we need to grow up and be somebody, that who we are is what we do. And so we go to school and and we try to learn as much and we come up with this dream of the life that we want to live and maybe the career that we want to have. But life's not easy. And for most of us, we never become that thing that we think we want to become. And so we feel like we've lost ourselves. We feel like we have no meaning in life. And so we become depressed. We turn to drugs. You turn to alcohol. Alcohol. Because we're told that who I am is what I do. But that's a lie. The other thing that people try to define us with is by what other people think of us. It's like we live in this world where everyone else's opinion matters more than our God's And so we try to cater to, and we try to craft ourselves, and we try to sculpt a life that fits what other people tell us we need to be. That's a lie. That's not who we are. The other thing that this world tells us is that we are what we own. That our possessions become the defining characteristic of success in our life. And this is a hard one. Things such as owning a house. That becomes an idol in life. It becomes this thing, this defining character. You've made it when you have a house. You've made it when you have a nice car. You've made it when you have the man cave. Although, you can use that for ministries. That's not, no, I'm just saying. You've made it when you have the nice guitar. But that's not who we are. That's a lie. Those things don't define us. And when they do define us, we live in the wilderness. And we sell out our identity and we sell out our calling. That's not who God made us to be. There's a story in the Old Testament of one of my favorite characters. I've preached on him already, I think twice. His name's Jacob. And and Jacob... He had an identity crisis. This morning, I want to look at his life. And from his life, we're going to discover that our identity becomes rooted and established in Jesus when we discover who we are, not through the world, not through other people's opinions, not through what we have, not through what we do, not through what we've done, but from what he has said. So when we discover what he has said about us, when we believe who he said we are, and then when we become it, our identity becomes fixed in him, that we are a Christian. So that when somebody says to you, who are you, or or you ask the question, who am I? You have the answer. I'm a follower of Christ. Christ. Not because I am able, but because he is able to make me one. Now, how do you get to this point? Well, it starts with discovering who we are in God's word. Turn with me to Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says this. I'll wait. Well, that's good. That's good. That's good. Psalm's in the beginning. I'm going to take this gum again because, man, that's good gum. Woo! That's power. There's, there's a lot of flavor in this gum. It's power packed. I'm smacking the gum, too. That's kind of gross. Man. You know when you have that really good gum and you just and you work and you're getting the flavor out? What happens eventually, though? The flavor goes out. And your jaw gets so... Where does the flavor go? In belly. In you. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Those are the ones who define. Those are the ones who tell us how to live. Nor stands in the way of sinners. Nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. When he says the law of the Lord, he's referring to God's word. Saying this, what God has inspired men to write which shows us who he is and shows us who we are, shows us how we should live, which feeds our soul much more than just words. It says that's his delight. And it says this, that on his law, on God's word, he meditates day and night. You know, when we say the word meditate, we often think it's this. Like, No, no, that's not meditate. You see, the word meditate in Hebrew is hagah, which means to utter, it means to dwell upon. It really means to speak over yourself. I was thinking, that's kind of like when you're chewing gum and you keep chewing it to get the flavor out of it. So what happens if you just pop the gum in your mouth and bite down and then spit it back out right again? Do you really get the flavor out of it? Does it really become part of you? And it's like that with God's word, that it's so power-packed and there's so much in there, but you don't get anything out of it unless you chew on it, unless you meditate on it, unless you utter it and speak it over and over again. It says that he meditates on it day and night. He wrestles with it. And then what happens when you do that? Well, you start to learn your identity. It says, he is like a tree planted by streams that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And then it compares it to this. He says, the wicked are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. So when you rely upon the world and, and all their definers, I don't know if that's even a term. You're like chaff. You're like grass clippings when the wind blows it just blows away. Now, there's somebody, my favorite character in the Old Testament, who literally wrestled with God's word. Like literally. So turn me to Genesis We're going to look at the story of Jacob once again. We're going to see what it's like to go from discovering who we are to believing who we are to being who we are. You see, Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. He grew up in a church house, right? Where everyone, Everyone went to church. Now, this is the Old Testament, so there's no church, but modern equivalent. So his granddad actually had an encounter with God where God spoke to him, and God told his grandfather that through his family, all of the nations of the world would be blessed. That's an amazing calling. That's an amazing identity. It's kind of like carrying the name Christian, that through you, God wants to bless other people. So this... Truth gets spoken over his family. Then Jacob's born. Now Jacob is one of two twins. And when he was born, as his brother who came out first was coming out, he was holding on to his brother's heel. And so his parents saw that and they named him accordingly. In the Old Testament, the name that you were given was equivalent to your identity. That's not really the case now. I don't think my parents, when they thought of my name, they thought, ooh, I want him to be a watchful one, so I'm gonna name him Gregory. Right? That's not how names work in our culture. Usually we watch cartoon shows or there's a movie character that's really popular. And then you see like every single kid being named like Jasmine or being named like because you know it's in a movie. Right? So yeah. And so People don't think the way they used to think, but Jacob was named according to that. And so his name means this, one who follows at the heel. Oh, track with me on this. This is very significant. Jacob's name means one that follows at the heel. And if you look at Jacob's life in the book of Genesis, it says that Jacob was a deceiver that Jacob was able to obtain everything in life through deception. He was smarter than everyone else. He'd figure out ways to get and work the system. You know what I'm talking about? He relied upon his own strength. He trusted in his own strength. He had great ability to become the person that he wanted to become. Up until the point that his brother wanted to kill him. You see, because he swindled his brother out of his inheritance. He swindled his brother out of his father's blessing. And he had this horrible relationship with his brother. And his brother came to kill him. And so he tried to bribe his brother by giving him all the cattle. and, and give him, But no, he kept coming. His brother kept coming. And after he had given away his cattle or his sheep and pigs and goats and dogs and you tracking with me? Okay. He came to the end of himself. And he had this wrestling match with God. He had this wrestling match with Jesus in the Old Testament, which blows my mind to think that this character was most likely Jesus in the Old Testament. And Jesus is who? God's word, right? So you have this moment where. That old way, the way of the desert, the way of trusting self, the way of relying upon your own abilities, failed him miserably. So he got to the end of himself, and he realized that he couldn't do it anymore. So God appeared to him, and he had this wrestling match with God, which most of us have at some point in our life, where we realize, I can't do this anymore. So you fight with God, and you you grapple with him, and you wrestle with him. Kind of like this whole idea of meditating on God's word when he speaks truth of you and you don't believe it yet. So you have to just grab hold of it and just squeeze it and so that it becomes who you are. And so he has this wrestling match with Jesus. And at the end of the match, Jesus does something remarkable. He gives him a new name. He says, No longer will you be called the one who follows after the heel. Now, watch this, right? In Genesis 3, where God curses Satan, what does he say about Satan? He says, cursed are you amongst all the livestock, okay, or m- amongst, amongst all the, the critters, basically. And he says that, that though you will bl- bruise the heel, okay, okay, of Eve's descendants, your head will be crushed. This is remarkable. let me see if I can explain this. <laughs> I'm already losing it. Satan tries to thwart what God's doing. And he does it through deceiving. He's the great deceiver, the Bible says. He's the one that latches on to Jesus' heel and tries to stop what Jesus is doing. And that Bruising the heel of Jesus was actually talking about Jesus going cross. It was a prophecy. So the one who's latched on and trying to stop what God is doing onto the heel of Jesus is Satan, is the great deceiver. Jacob, whose name means the one who follows the heel, was also a deceiver. Why? He was following the way of Satan. So as the serpent's attached on and trying to stop what God is doing, Satan's following, uh, Jacob's following after the serpent. So in this wrestling match, God says, no, you're not going to walk that way anymore. You're not going to live the way of the deceiver anymore. You're not going to trust on your own strength anymore. I'm going to rename you. I'm going to give you a new identity. And so he names him Israel, which means strives with God. So rather than the one who's chasing after the serpent, He's going to be following Jesus. He's going to be following God in his life. So he gives him this revelation of who he is. But Jacob has an identity crisis. And here's how I know this because after he has a wrestling match with God, he makes up with his brother, but then there's a crisis again in his family. His daughter gets raped awful. And his brothers learn about this, and they go out, and they kill the guys who rape his daughter. But the people who rape his daughter, one was a king, and one was a prince. Okay, well, the prince raped them, and so they go out, and they kill them, and then they kill all these men in, in, in this village, well, part of that city. So they kill the men, and now the men are going to retaliate. So God appears to Jacob, and so here's what we're going to pick up. Chapter 35 says this, Genesis 35. So he's in this crisis mode because his daughter got raped, his son's just killed a bunch of guys, and there's gonna be a retaliation. And so he's having an identity crisis because the old way that he knows, he's gonna do what? He's gonna take matters into his own hands. But the new way that God's calling to him live is to strive with God, is to trust God. So God says this. He says to Jacob, arise, go to Bethel and dwell there. He says, don't go and fight them. Go to this place named Bethel. The place where I first met you. Bethel means house of God. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. God's saying, trust me. God's saying, I'm going to take care of this situation. This is an awful situation, and you're tempted to go fix it yourself. Trust me. So he has this choice, whether he's going to believe his new identity or not, or go back to the old self. So here's what he does. So Jacob said to his household, not just to himself, to his household, and to all who are with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments and let's arise and go up to the house of God. And so they got rid of all the things. They clean out their closets. They got rid of all the things that they were relying on before. And they got themselves right with God. And it says, and as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them. The ones who were going to retaliate, God protected them. He discovered who he was. He believed who he was. And he became who God made him to be. And then in verse 9 it says this, and God appeared to Jacob again. And when he came from Pateran and blessed him, God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall you be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. You see, although he said before his name was Israel, he didn't go by that name yet. Because he didn't really believe that's who he was yet. And so now God appears again, and he says, Listen, look what just happened. You stepped out, and you started walking in your new identity, and I showed up, and I showed up faithful, and here's the best part. He says, he called his name Israel, and God, which is Yahweh, which is the God who's always present, he revealed something new about himself. He said, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai saying, I am the one who is sufficient. I am the one who is capable of taking you from the desert and putting you by the stream. I can make you this new person, this new man. I can give you a new identity. You see, when the world wants to look and say, ah, look, you know, he says he's a Christian, but nah. Uh, or when you look at yourself and you realize, wow, I have a lot of stuff in my heart. I still have a lot of thoughts that I wrestle with. I don't really feel like a Christian. Is this really true? Now I put my trust in God. I don't seem that much different yet. Did He really change me? You see, watch this. You see, in 2 Corinthians 5, God says that we are a new creation in Christ. It says that God has remade us. He says that the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But we're walking around with a dead man next to us. We have trouble believing that our old self is not really us. Because we still feel a lot like the old self. But when God says that you're a new creation, but when God says that you're a new species, this old man, he's dead. That's not you anymore because God said so. Because it's God who defines us, not the world. And it's not because we're sufficient. It's because he's sufficient to make us into that. When he showed up and said, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. He's saying that you're not Jacob anymore. You're Israel because I did it. Not you. 2 Corinthians 5. This is good stuff. Gives us our new identity. And what an awesome identity this is. Verse 16. 2 Corinthians 5.16. says, From now on, therefore. From now on. Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Don't look at who you were. Don't get stuck in your struggles. God can deliver you from them. He has the ability. He is sufi- sufficient to do that. That doesn't define you anymore. He says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, that's a good therefore. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ means put your trust in him. It means to have him as the Lord of your life. To acknowledge that you can't do it anymore in the desert. That you need to be in the stream and the only way you can be next to that stream is because of him says that you're a new creation. And that's a powerful word because in Greek that means new species. That Moses, who thinks he's a dog, but he's really a cat, it's like Moses actually becoming a dog. And you're not going back. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. It's all from God. God. We don't deserve it. It's because He loves us. It's because He picks us up. He carries us over. He makes us new. And He says, This isn't you anymore. Says that He has reconciled us to Himself. And then it says, It gives us our identity. It says He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's saying that I'm going to take those other the things from your past life. And you're going to use them for ministry. You're now a minister for me. It says that we're an ambassador. Woo! Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. That means God talks through us. That means God acts through us. That means that God has chosen that we can represent him even though we're not able to. But he makes us sufficient because he is El Shaddai. That promise that was given to Abraham, that through all the families of the earth, that they would be blessed through Abraham's descendants, that God could even take a deceiver, one who was following the way of Satan, and use that type of man to reach the world. And we're the same way, that God takes our broken pieces, God takes the mess from our past life, and we sang it, nothing is wasted that he uses those things so that we can minister to others and be an ambassador. And here's why we can do it. Verse 21. It says that, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Meaning this, that when we put our trust in Christ, that our sins are forgiven completely. That the old self that's attached to us. It's like in that movie with oh see, um, I wasn't a Christian my whole life. Total recall, like with the thing with the neck and the right? Yeah. God takes this away. Take this away, Mike, because that's not us. God takes it away. As far as from the east is to the west, that's called a merism. That means completely and totally, utterly goes away. That is not who you are. And it says in him, we are the righteousness of God. N.T. Wright said that means covenant faithfulness. That means now we are capable to represent him to the world. Not because we are sufficient, but because he is sufficient. That he is able to make us into the new man he is able to make us into a christian so when somebody says who are you or when you ask the question who am i you can answer now that i'm a son of god that i'm a child of god that i'm a representative of god i'm a follower of jesus i'm a christian Not because I'm sufficient. Not because my life is perfect. Not because I'm always acting like him. But because he died for my sins. That's the gospel. And he's remaking us into the image of his son. Through his presence that's inside of us. So that when we go from being in the desert to being by the stream... It says that we bear fruit in all seasons. You know what the fruit is? The fruit is the character of Christ. It's his words. It's his love. It's it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit that's inside of us. So that as we go out and we represent him as an ambassador, people see him in us. Starts with this. Meditating, chewing it. Wrestling with it, and it goes to believing it, and it goes to being it. He has accomplished it already. It needs to be actualized in your life. It needs to become who you are. Whew. Thank you, Lord. I'm gonna have the worship team come up. I went long. I think this happens a lot now. Oh, Lord. I just pray for anybody here who is struggling with their identity who's longing to become the person you intend them to be but they feel miles away from where they need to be that they're constantly plagued and haunted by the feelings and thoughts in their own way old ways that they're so used to being defined by others being defined by what they know, being defined by what they have, by catering to people's opinions. God, I pray that you would release them from that, that you would set them free from the bondage of that. God, that they wouldn't be enslaved. God, that you would carry them from the desert to the stream. God, that their identity would be rooted in you. God, that they would receive it and believe that in you we're the righteousness of Christ. God, thank you. Thank you that we can be your ambassadors. God, I pray that we would live that way. God, I pray that we would operate in your love, in your compassion. God, that we would have the same eyes that you looked upon us with for others. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand together.